consequence that Jesus, as he reflects, as he exhorts his disciples just days before his, uh, his death and his burial and his uh, ascension and all of that, he is giving them final exhortations concerning the work of the Spirit in their lives. And if he took such time to draw their attention, their attention was always in him. They were amazed at what he could do, what he did. And you would be as well. Come on, if you walked with a man that sick people touched his clothes and they got healed. Come on, if you walked with a man that could stand outside a burial chamber and speak to a four-day dead man, four days dead, call him by name and him walk out bound hand and clothes and, and, and see the power of God. You would be amazed at a man that could take just five or six or seven fishes and a few bread and, and lift up his eyes toward heaven and pray and, and then begin to break it and then 5,000 men and women were fed. You would be amazed as well. Come on, but in Acts 10 and 38, looking back, Luke writes about the anointing that was on Jesus' life. It says, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus shared that the, uh, the ability that he possessed came from the power of the Spirit that came upon him when he was baptized in water. He said things like this. He said, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God or by the finger of God, he spoke about his own words, the words that I speak unto you. They are spirit. They're empowered by the life of the Holy Spirit who dwelt inside of him. Then you and I should glean and go and look closely at what he had to say about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And today I'm going to take you on a journey and I'm going to show you a work of the Spirit in your life that it can be such a great grace that God will give you. It can change your life. When you begin to learn to trust God's Spirit in this particular area, it will change your perspective of your Christian faith. It will give you a hope and a confidence before God. So I've got multiple texts that I'm going to be reading from, but I just want to ask us just quickly to stand up. And I'm not going to read the text now. We're going to go to John 14 in a moment moment and glean some things arriving at John 16, but I'm going to go ahead and let you know what I'm going to speak on today, and this is, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Come on, somebody, amen? Now, that's not from the words of Jesus. That's copied from the words of the Apostle Paul, but we're going to correlate those thoughts in a moment of time. How we need to be in the Spirit today even in troubled and tumultuous and difficult times. For if we allow ourselves to become in the flesh, carnal, carnally minded, then we are going to miss our opportunity to seize the moment that's in front of us. We must wage our spiritual warfare by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must live our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must be who God's called us to be by the power of His Holy Spirit. The Spirit is searching the things of God and desires to reveal them to you. Isn't that exciting? And I'll show that to you in just a few minutes. Father of heaven, I love you, and I'm honored to be in this room. Bless 
our time together in the Word. Help us for a few short minutes to turn our affection and our attention, not necessarily on the political issues of our day, but upon the revelation that we can gain from the Word of God. Help us today to not sidestep, Father, issues that affect us all, but let us gain resources and ability and great graces that will help us to stand in the hour in which we live today. I pray let this word, Father God, speak to the men and women that are here today with great clarity. It's in Jesus' name I pray and all of God's children said amen and amen. You can be seated. Now let me take just a moment. We're going, we are going to kind of glean through a few passages of Scripture before we arrive at the place where we start just kind of dissecting a couple of verses. Now I want to remind you that John chapter 14 through actually into the 17th chapter, we're going to stop in the 16th chapter, but this is Jesus spending some of his last hours before his betrayal with his disciples, even including Judas of Iscariot at this particular time. Now you have to remember this is the culmination of three and a half years of fellowship. You work and you walk and you minister with people that long, you've gotten to know them. I mean, they were in tight quarters. They were in small ships. They were in small rooms. They were, you know, just walking together as a band of brothers. So this is a very important moment for Jesus because he knows that he's about to go uh, into his trial, into his uh, subsequent death on the cross, and that's going to rock their world. You know, the sheep would be scattered because the shepherd would be smitten. They would not understand the, unfold, the events as they unfolded in front of him, in front of them. And so Jesus is preparing them for uh, something greater that was yet to be. And he said things about the Holy Spirit as he spoke in John chapter 14. And I'm going to borrow my infamous glasses for a few moments as I read in John chapter 14. We're just going to glean. Our attention's going to be in John 16 today. But I want you to see this wasn't an isolated passage when I take you in John 16. I want you to see that he was weaving and, and, and sharing and just kind of filling this discourse with this revelation about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will pray the Father. Now remember, he's talking to them about that he's going to be going away from them. And they, they don't understand this and they're, they're struggling to grasp this. He said, I will pray the Father and, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now the, it's the Spirit, of, he is the Spirit of truth. I love this. The world cannot receive the world can't receive of the Spirit unless they're born again. And the world can't receive spiritual truth because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth, in, dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I've said this before. I know that his presence meant so much to those men in the middle of confusion, in the middle of tumultuous political seasons and upheavals and, and with the persecution of the Jewish synagogue leaders that were coming upon this little itinerating band of ministries, just having Jesus in their presence was a great comfort. And he's talking about leaving them. And you can imagine what that would be like. If, you're, uh, if you've been widowed here, I know that you can understand a little 
portion of it, when, when you were about to lose your spouse and you were thinking about your life without the person that you had grown so dependent upon and was so connected, Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. There will be a way that I will come to you. Isn't that good news right there? Now, the 26th verse, he says, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, King James English. Remember, the word ghost in King James is the word pneuma in the Greek. It's translated spirit as well. It's the same thing. It's just the usage of the King James translator. That was the common usage of spirit in their time frame. Whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, and he will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. As I age, that's a great promise from God right there. The 26th verse of the 15th chapter. Let's read this together. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he will testify of me. One of the great works of the Spirit in your life is the testimony of Jesus. He will testify Jesus in your life. Now let's begin in the 16th chapter, the 7th verse familiar to many of us. We're going to really draw our attention about the 14th and the 13th verse, and, but we're going to pick it up at the 7th. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Now, this is difficult for them to receive. I've said this before to you, but I'll allude to it again. He's simply saying it is better for you. The one that's in front of you is your comforter at that moment. Jesus was their comforter to those 12 men. But he's saying to them, it is better for you that I go away. Because if I stay here, I'm limited. My power, my grace, my goodness, my affection, my, my anointing is limited to this body right here. You have to be near me to get that same comfort. You have to be able to physically touch me and to see me to get that comfort. But he said, but I'm going to send the comforter. It's more important for you that I go away because he's going to come to you. And as we've already read, he's going to be inside you. Man, he'll go wherever you go. Right? And so what a powerful principle. I will send him to you. Now he mentions what his work will be. He will reprove the world of sin. He's a convictor. How we need the power of conviction in our culture today. Just preaching is not sufficient. If the work of the Spirit is not convicting the heart, then no man gets reached. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting the heart, then we can make a difference in the lives of men and women. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. They couldn't bear, they couldn't understand, they couldn't process the things that he wanted to say. They couldn't grasp the revelation because they were not yet born again. They had not received the Holy Spirit's regeneration and they had not been filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the promise. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Like in a dark place, a light guides your step. He will lead you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, 
but whatsoever he shall hear. So the Spirit of God is listening to the heart of God. Come on, somebody. He's got his... Remember John pillowed his head on the bosom of Jesus in that very last supper? He had his head on his bosom or on his chest. I've said it before. John could hear the heartbeat of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit has got his ear pinned on the bosom of the Father to hear God's heartbeat towards the church. Man, that's a good word right there. And what he hears, that's what he's going to speak. And notice this. He will show you things to come. God will unveil and unlock mysteries about your life. He will reveal to you things that are yet in your future. And in the process, he's going to glorify me. Christ is glorified when the Holy Spirit works in the lives of his children. For he, notice this, shall receive of mine and he shall show it unto you. Let's look at this 15th verse and and take this for just a moment. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he will take of mine and shall show it unto you. I was contemplating as I read this passage, and I began to think for just a moment the magnitude of the words that Jesus said. For it is our belief that God, whom we serve, is the God, that there are no other gods. He is the one true God. He's the creator, Elohim in the Hebrew, the creator of heaven and of earth, that God is greater than his creation. Did you and I know that right now that the world itself and the universe except not the world, but the universe expands at the speed of light because in days gone by in the Genesis, God said, let there be light. And when God said it, he sent light out and it continues to this very day to expand the universe. But beyond the universe and its scope and its magnitude, there's a God greater than this expanding universe. Come on, somebody. And that's the God that we serve. And Jesus said, as you think about the creator God, who he is and all that he possesses, all that the Father has is mine. It's mine. Jesus said, now that's, that's a big deal because until that moment, until Jesus came, the, the, the Hebrew people knew that God was the creator of heaven. He dwelt in heaven. And he gave man a means to access his knowledge through the law and through the sacrifices. And God was supposed to be seated on the mercy seat behind the veil in the temple. And yet at the same time, no man could see that God. They could hear his word. He was the invisible God, but Jesus came as the express image of the invisible God. He was tangible. He would sit with them. He had later said, in, in, uh, earlier said in John 14, when Philip had said, show me the Father and it will suffice us. Have I been so long with you, Philip, and you have not seen me? For he that has seen me has seen the Father. All that the Father hath is mine, he said. Every good and precious thing, the Bible speaks about every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. All that God has is Jesus. And now as he's sharing with us about the work of the Spirit, he's saying all the good that the Father has, his glory, his honor, his resources, his grace, his mercy, his power, all of this is mine. And then he said the Spirit is going to take of what is mine and show it unto you. Come on now, that's a good word right there. 
Now, let me tell you what the word show in Greek means. It's not what you and I think, because when I first think of a show, I think a little bit of a theatrical performance, such as what you might have in Branson or something that's on the screen. But the word in Greek actually means to announce it in detail. It's also translated declare or to report it or to rehearse it, to speak it or to tell you. So in essence, what he's saying is that the spirit who has searches all things, even the deep things of God, all that is mine, the spirit is going to take it and he's going to declare it unto you. So that when he declares it unto you, now listen to this, he speaks it to you by the word. And so therefore by the word and also by the words of others that are speaking in harmony by the word and in harmony with the word and by the inner witness that we all possess, God speaks to us the things of God. And when he speaks them to us, the Holy Spirit opens our understanding, we grasp them and then we can begin to understand them. And as we understand them, that which belongs to us, we can then possess the faith to ask that God release them into our lives. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? See, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as the Spirit of God reveals to me the plan and the purposes of God, then it builds faith in my heart and it gives me a boldness to say, God, you said in your Word, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting today. You said in your word, God, that that belongs to me. It belonged to Jesus. The Spirit has shown me that he has shared this with me. And so therefore, I can now petition you in faith and expect that you're going to honor your word. Man, that's a good word right there. Now let's go to a comparable text. And in a moment, I'll allude to a little bit later, John 16. But let's go to a comparable text. Let's see what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians 2. Because I'm going to show you something in a moment that I think was going to be an analogy that's going to help you understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now I know I could read it on the screen, but I can be a little old-fashioned in this way. I like to read it right on the pages of my Bible. Here in 1 Corinthians 2, the first verse. And brethren, when I came to you, this is how I feel about myself at times. I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I'm not preaching this full context, but before we read the, the, the text itself, I'd like for you to see it in its context for a moment. Because Paul is responding to his ministry when he was amongst the Corinthians. And he's saying, in essence, that I didn't know anything and among you in any type of great uh, you know, wisdom of man. Look at this. He said in the third verse, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Paul himself would later testify that he did not consider himself to be a, a very effective or orator or, or have a great oratorical ability. He felt like it was weak at times. But he said, but my words contained the demonstration of the Spirit of God and the power of God. How many of you know there can be a distinction in words that are shared publicly? Two people can say the same thing. One can say one thing and it doesn't have an anointing behind it. 
Come on now. And somebody else may not have the ability to, art, to articulate the same words, but they've got the anointing in their life. And as they say those same words, it pierces you right in the heart. And that's what the apostle is saying. It was in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, notice this, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. So what he's saying, we're speaking wisdom among those that are being mature or are maturing in their faith. Now notice this, not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now notice this. Which none of the princes of this world knew. This is what I shared with you earlier. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, the enemy could not capture. He couldn't understand the full effect of when Jesus was betrayed. See, Simon, or not Simon, the Bible tells us that Satan entered Judas of Iscariot and had him crucified, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. But the princes of this world could not discern the full effect that would take place upon humanity when Jesus Christ died. He thought that if he killed the seed, if he killed the Son of God, then he could capture his kingdom. But he did not know that when Jesus died, his blood was an atoning sacrifice that would unlock all of man's sin all the way back to Adam, all the way forward to the last person ever born of a woman and therefore up from the ground he would arise with the keys to death, hell and the grave. The enemy didn't know that. Even though it had been spoken he could not understand it. And so you and I have got to have an ear to hear. I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting today. I'm just saying we got to have an ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. And so he says here quoting from Isaiah as it is written, I has not seen. There are things that God has for you that your eye has not yet seen. But seen it. Nor has ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Pause right there. For many years I heard that verse of scripture as it related to the things of heaven. And I know there are some things in heaven that I have not yet seen and that you and I have not yet heard. But if we do not uh, allow the ninth verse to flow into the tenth verse, then we miss the heart of why Paul was quoting it in the first place. He's saying that yes, in the mysteries of God there were things that I had not seen nor ear heard that had not entered even into the heart of a man concerning the things that God has for those that love him. But now is a new season. Now's a new day. Now's a new hour. God is revealing them unto us by his spirit. Come on, that spirit. Remember what Jesus said? He said when he comes, he's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring all things into remembrance that I have told you, and he's going to guide you into all truth. Why? Because the spirit is searching all things, even the very deep things of God. Now listen to this. He makes a comparison. What man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Now Paul was not married. And so had he been married, he probably could have added an addendum to that and say, what man knoweth the things of a man except for his wife? But being he was single, he said, What man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? In essence, he was saying, Gentlemen, nobody knows you like you know yourself. 
You know your ups and downs. You know your thoughts and you know your feelings. You know your emotions. You know yourself. He said the spirit which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. But the spirit of God knows the things of God. But we have not received, he said, but we have received not the spirit of the world. See, we didn't receive the spirit. There is a spirit of this world. There's a spirit of the age. It's a, it's a destructive spirit. It fights against the spirit of God and resists the things of God. But we've not received that spirit. We've received the spirit which is of God. That for what purpose? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Hallelujah. My God, this is better than Christmas Day this morning. This is a moment where we're beginning to understand that God has things for us that are locked in his divine wisdom that we need an unveiling, we need a revelation of those things so that we can have the faith to possess those things. The Amplified Bible said concerning those gifts, those things that are freely given to us of God, the Amplified Bible says there are gifts of divine favor and blessing that God so freely and lavishly will bestow on you. God will freely and lavishly bestow these things on you, but it takes the work of the Spirit to unveil them to you. Which things, he said, we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth. There's a difference between the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. There's a difference between a pastor or a preacher who speaks in the context of his learned knowledge and wisdom that he's gained from even his own personal study and the wisdom that is supernaturally supplied by the Spirit of God. There is a, dif a difference. He said, but we speak which the Holy Spirit teaches. So what he's saying is what we're speaking, the Holy Spirit is teaching. He's teaching and he's comparing spiritual things with spiritual. King James English, two veins of thought with this passage here. God is comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. So he'll take spiritual issues and compare them with spiritual issues to teach spiritual principles. But he's also saying here, God takes spiritual truths and shares them with spiritual people. Because if you're not spiritual today, sometimes the things that are said go right past you. Right around you, truth that can change your life, free your soul, create life inside of you is flowing right past you. And you're not able to grasp it because you're a natural man. 14th verse. For the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of God the world cannot grasp, but you and I can grasp them. 16th verse. But who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We have the mind of... Come on, we have the mind of Christ. So you and I can understand the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, I want to share with you a couple of analogies this morning, or one analogy in particular, to bear this principle home with us today. I believe, again, that God has contained within his great graces towards us much riches, and I'm not talking about material riches. I mean, yes, there's blessing that comes financially, but when you use the word rich, if you confine it only to material blessing, you've missed the heart of being rich. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about being full, being whole, having joy. Come on, somebody. Facing uncertain seasons with an expectation that if God be for me, come on, then who can be against me? What can separate me from the love of God this morning? Can tribulation, distress, can political upheaval, can changes in our government separate? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus today. 
Come on, we are counted as sheep that are led to the slaughter. Whatever it takes, God, we so love you because you first loved us. Let me share with you this analogy because I believe that as we learn for, to, to trust the work of the Spirit in our lives, He's going to search the things of God and reveal them to you. So if you're living in despair, you're living in depression, if you'll get a word in your spirit from the Holy Spirit, He'll show you you don't have to live that way. Psychologists still try to adequately treat Depression, I understand. I know that there are some medications that can be offered that can sometimes help. But there is a work of the Spirit that can go far beyond. Anything that man, by any microscope or treatment in any capacity, could search your soul and try to give you. The Holy Spirit can give you a word that can change your countenance just like that. In a moment's time, your head who's hung down, your hands hanging down, can be lifted up because of the power of the Holy Ghost who's on the inside of you. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, had we read further in that passage, he said, you're sorrowing now. He said, but there will come a day when your sorrow will be turned to joy. Come on, everybody else was rejoicing when he died and they were sorrowing. But they were sorrowing when he was raised from the dead, but the disciples were joy. Come on now, that's what God can do in our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's got eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't even entered into your heart the things God has for you. But the Spirit of God reveals those things to you to give you great hope and courage in the life in which we now live. Let me give you an analogy of this real quickly in a moment. We'll turn to Numbers, the 13th chapter. But I'm, taking this, I'm only going to share this one analogy. It's, is, are y'all with me today? Is this okay? Come on now. I know y'all expected me to be very political and all those things, and there'll be a time for that, but it's not this day. Israel's deliverance from Egypt. I want to take a moment and show you something. I believe that Israel's deliverance from Egypt... And there, were, there was a threefold effect of that moment. There was the deli initial deliverance from Egypt. Then there was the transition during the wilderness. And then there was the occupation of the promised land. Does that sound familiar to y'all? Right? All the way back to your Sunday school days. when they, Back when I was a little boy, they had those green cloth boards. Now everything is, you know, the little kids and the, the, the little kids are sitting there. They got their own iPhone watching and it's all happening but in, when I was a little child it was, it was a little green placard board with the cutout. And, and so it was Israel's deliverance from Egypt. It's threefold but I believe it's an allegory of your faith and I'll show you what I mean by that. Remember the deliverance from Egypt? When the deliverance came it came by virtue of the blood of the lamb that was shed that night. Their protection and their deliverance was ushered because they were covered from the death angel's wrath because of the blood. When I see the blood, come on, are y'all with me? I will pass. It's an old song too. I will pass over you. And what does that say to us about that? That's our salvation experience. The blood of Jesus applied to our life and we were delivered from the bondage of sin. Just as Israel delivered from the bondage of the Egyptians and Pharaoh's army and all those things, you and I were delivered from sin's grip. Come on, sin shall not have. Romans 6 says sin shall not have dominion over us. Come on, that power's been broken. Number two was the wilderness. The wilderness was, ended up being 40 years. It was not intended by God to be 40 years. It could have been just a few short weeks or a few short months. 
But they stumbled in the wilderness. The wilderness was a transitional period. How many of you know when you first got saved, you had a transitional season? Because you were now a child of God, but your habits were living like a child of the devil. And you had to learn to live differently. You had to learn to no longer live, think, act, or talk like an Egyptian because you were now an Israelite by faith. Come on, somebody. It didn't happen overnight. Deliverance happened overnight. You were free from chains, free from sin overnight, but you had a progression of development of the grace of God in your life. Man, that's a good word right there. In the wilderness is where they received the law. That's where they learned how to walk, talk, and serve God. They learned how to function in the relationship with God. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has to have that progressive development of their faith. Number three, the promised land. Say, Pastor, I always thought the promised land was in heaven. And in one sense, I'm sure there is an application. But if you are aware of the promised land was also called Canaan's land, and there were seven different nations that possessed it. And the last time I looked, there's not going to be Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and Cellulite and any such thing up in heaven. And let everybody say amen. Right? So I'm not expecting to go up into heaven and have to fight a Canaanite, and I know somebody don't want to go up to heaven and have to fight cellulite. <laughs> Come on. So, so it's talking about our new position, our relationship, our walking in our divine calling. Come on. Jesus said, God, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world. So while they're in the world, they're establishing my kingdom. They're letting the light of my love and grace, wherever your foot trod, that's what God told Abraham, wherever your foot trod, he said, I'm going to give that to you. And we begin to live our life that way and say, God, this is ours. This is our inheritance. This is our possession. So we learn to live that, our life to honor God while we're here in the right now. So let's go to this passage in Numbers chapter 13 for just a moment and just see if we can share this in closing today. I know it's a long time right at noon. It's just a couple minutes. I want to drop this down in your spirit. Are y'all with me today? Is this okay? Okay, I know I'm going to go in a little bit of overtime on you today, but y'all just stay with me. If you've got children, they're in good hands. If you have small infants, they're in the nursery, so you ought to be thanking God. It's a little bit of time alone. Come on, I knew there's somebody out there that could feel what I was saying right there. So this is your moment. This is your moment to get a good word real quickly. I want to show you how the Spirit reveals truth by making an analogy to you real quickly. In Numbers, the 13th chapter, let's read. That's the 17th verse. This passage of Scripture that we are at right here is Israel has now received the law. They are prepared to begin to move forward in possession of Canaan's land. Moses, the, all that Moses knew about the land at that time was it was a land of milk and honey. That was all. He had never seen the land himself. He had never been there. He had never sojourned from the northern parts of Israel, just down from Lebanon all the way down to below the Dead Sea. He had never stood and looked at the breadth of the width. All he knew was what God had told him at the burning bush. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. So as they're, as they're gathering resources to begin to enter into the land, Moses said, why don't we send out spies, 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes, leaders among us. We're going to go and send them into the land. We we are going to stay here. We're going to send them. And for 40 days, they're going to search out the land. They're going to walk on the high hills, and they're going to walk in the low valleys. Let's read this. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And he said, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that dwell in, and whether they be good or bad, and what the cities that, that be that, are, that they dwell in, whether 
whether they are in tents or in strongholds and what the land looks like, whether it's a fat land or a lean land, whether there's wood therein or whether it's not. Whether He said, and be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time of the, uh, was at the time of the first fruit of grapes. And so what we can see real quickly is that Moses in his divine wisdom that God has given him sends out 12 men to walk through the high hills and also through the low valleys to go around and search out the cities to look at the inhabitants thereof to see what's in the fields. Does it land with trees? Now I want you to don't forget that. Picture that in your mind. And then I want you to think because that was their promised land. That was their promised possession. That's where God said that you're going to put your root downward right here. This is where you're going to live and move. I've given it unto you. I want you to think about that. You can visualize that in your mind. And then I want you to think about what I read to you in 1 Corinthians 12. The invisible things of God are clearly understood by the Spirit of God who searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. So in your mind as you think about those men standing on top of a mountain and looking over all the bounty that belonged to the land of Canaan, I want you to think of the Spirit of God searching the heart and the mind and the wisdom of God. And Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And be prepared to share those things with you at the end of 40 days. Because I want you to know today, God has blessings for you. God has blessings. Get that in your spirit. Some are eternal, but some are temporal. Some things we can't receive on this side of eternity, but some things we can have a measure of on this side of eternity. And I want you to know today that Jesus said this. Jesus said, ask that your, he said, ask that your joy might be full. He said, up until this time, he said, you've only asked in, 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 other, in, other, in my name. He said, I want you to ask the Father in my name. Ask the Father in my name. He will do it for you. And he said, I want you to ask that your joy might be full. I want you to know today, church family, there is a rest that belongs to you. You and I are to labor to enter into that rest. What that means is there is a place in God that we can live where we don't have to worry about whether we are loved by God. We will know we're loved by God. We won't have to worry whether or not God wants to take care of us because we will know that it's the Father's good pleasure to come on to give us the kingdom. We won't have to worry, wonder whether or not we are to have peace in troubled days. But he said, my peace will I leave with you. Come on now. We won't have to worry whether or not we're to have joy in the midst of sorrow, we'll know that we have the joy of the Lord that is our strength. We won't have to worry about those things because we know that the Father loves us and He's given us those things. The Spirit, the spies, excuse me, same context. The spies return and they rehearse their testimony. Let's read it today. I know we're right at the noon hour, but this is a better meal than you can get anywhere in Hebrew Springs at the noon hour. Let me say that. Let's go a little bit further. This is, their, this is what they rehearse in their ears. Remember, the Spirit does rehearse things, recounts and reports them. And so when they came, 26 verse, they come to Moses. And now you've got to take what 1 Corinthians too said about that natural mind, natural understanding, words that might be spoken that are not spoken by the Spirit of God. He brings back and, and, and to the congregation, they brought back word and they, unto all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land and they told them and said, we came unto the land where you sent us. And now notice this, and it surely is a land that floweth with milk and honey, just like God had said uh, at, the, at Mount Sinai many months earlier. And this is the fruit of it. If you had read the whole story, they took one big cluster of grapes that it took two men to carry. 
Now, I've got to go to Walmart after church today, but I'm not for sure there is a cluster of grapes in the produce section of Walmart that Sherry and I are going to have to carry out. But there was a promise from God that a land of milk and honey, beyond anything I has not seen, Oh, my God, if we could just get a hold of the things God has for us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard these things that God has for us. And so they begin to rehearse these things before them. But he said, but nevertheless, these are the ten spies, the people are strong, that's true, that dwell in the land. Then the cities are walled, and they're very great, that's true as well. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Amalekites are there, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea. They all dwell. Let's skip the 30th verse for just a moment because we're going to come back to that. And so the men that went up, 10 of the men said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And this is where as you mature, you learn to discern the voice of God because what the spies said up to a point was true. It was true that the land was possessed by seven nations. It was true that there were great giants in the land. It was true that the cities were walled. But what's not true was that they didn't have the power to possess what God said they could have. Come on now, that's where you begin to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit versus the voice of your own conscience or versus the voice of a lying spirit or versus the voice of religion that says you can't have what God said you can have. But when you begin to develop, I speak spiritual things to spiritual men, Paul said, when you begin to listen with the spiritual ear, then you can say, if my daddy said I can have it, come on now, then I can have it to God be the glory. You began to discern it. So in the midst of all that unbelief, Caleb, who is hearing this, said, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Everything they said up until that last statement is true. There are walled cities. It's a great land. And there are giants in it. But the 30th verse, Caleb said, but we are well able... more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think according to the power that works within me. Come on, somebody. By my God, I shall run through a troop. By my God, I'll leap up over a wall. Come on, somebody. I've been down, but rejoice not against me, O my enemy. For when I have yet fallen, I will yet arise and give God glory. I will live and not die and testify of the glory of God. If God said it, I can have it. I just got to hear the right voice. There are all kinds of voices speaking things in our minds causing us to be discouraged and discontented and downcast but when you begin to train your ear to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit he speaks a word because he searched the mind the will and the heart of God and he said if daddy said you can have it you can have it it'll give you the courage to rise up and begin to take the promises that God said belong to you glory to God you just got to discern the voice of God you can't think like a natural man you got to think like a spiritual man. Shane, won't you come on the platform with me? This is going to make people feel better because I'm not quite yet finished just yet. So listen, what is it that hinders our ability to hear and believe and then receive? I saw something I want to share with you in closing today. So we kind of know the story here. Now, Joshua 
also believed that they could take the land. The end of the story is because of this moment, God prohibited those people from going. They spent the next 40 years. There's a lot of Christians living their lives like this instead of living it in the promised land, being who God's called them to be because we're not hearing the voice of God, allowing God to speak to us concerning his plan and his purposes. And so very quickly, let me just put this in order for you just a moment. So in Numbers, that was the tipping point moment that started them on the 40-year journey. Now with that said, the book of Deuteronomy is a final record of Moses' exhortation to the new generation. All the men, all the women that lived during the first generation have now died. 40 years of wandering never entering into what God's promised. So now Moses is speaking to their children. So it's a powerful record. you got to read it. I know you think that the law is boring, but it's not. There's such life in it if you can discern it by the voice of the Spirit. So let me show you something real quickly because as he begins to rehearse something, it reveals to us a problem that many even in the church have to this day concerning receiving the things of God in their life. I want you to see Deuteronomy, the first chapter, the 27th verse. Let's put this up because here's a recount. Here's a recount of what they said 40 years earlier. And you murmured in your tents and you said, because the Lord hates us. Because the Lord hates us. Many people are hindered in receiving of the gift of God's grace his mercy, his kindness, the fullness of joy because of your inability to believe that God truly loves you. Come on now. That's a great place to either say amen or oh me. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Moses, or 7, Moses rehearses quickly what God's plan for Israel was. We're going to read that just real quickly, and I've got to speed up. Thou art a holy people to the Lord. This is what God is saying, but could they hear? If they thought with a natural mind, they couldn't hear this. They couldn't receive it. He said, God said, you're a holy people. God's chosen you. Do you get up every day and say, he chose me? I don't know why he chose me. He just did. I live my life that way. I don't know. I don't have an ability for why God would choose me, but he did. Who am I to argue with God? Come on. He chose me to be a special person to him above all the people that are on the face of the earth. Let's go. Seventh verse. The Lord didn't set his love upon you or choose you because you were smarter or larger than any other number of people. He said you were actually the fewest. I know I'm reading two things. I'm reading the text, but I'm reading into it my own life. You were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because God loved you, come on, he had spoken an oath to your fathers that he would bring you out with a mighty hand and redeem you from the house of bondage. And so there is a revelation to us that if we can just hear the voice of the Spirit in our lives, that today God does not hate you, God loves you. God so loved you that he showed you his love. Pastor, when have I seen the love of God on a hillside called Calvary, on a mountain called Golgotha? God sent his son to die to 
pay the penalty for your sins and your transgressions. You didn't know him. You couldn't keep his laws. You couldn't walk in his righteousness. So God put the penalty of all of our sin on his son so that he could put all the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the favor and the kindness that he has in his eternal heaven upon your life. Hallelujah. And so Jesus said, Ask the Father in my name because he loves you. Can you get that in your spirit today? I'm going to have to summarize these last couple of thoughts for the, own, the sake of time. Deuteronomy 6, Moses had said to God, or God had said through Moses to the people, I brought them out that I might bring them in. And I want you to think about that for a moment. There are a lot of people that live their life realizing that God forgave them of their sins, but they don't live their life walking in the blessing that should follow a life that is now free from the bondage of sin. God didn't just bring you out to leave you in the wilderness so you could die. God brought you out so he could bring you in. Jesus has gone up into heaven. He's left us here to be his ambassadors. How will the world yet know if we don't live a life filled with the grace and the goodness of God in front of them? How will they ever yet know if we don't have the joy unspeakable and full of glory in our hearts and in our lives? He didn't bring you out of a life of sin, bondage, despair, hopelessness, and fruitfulness to leave you where you are, but to bring you into a land of faithfulness and fruitfulness. God has so much for us, church family. So much. Time will, will prevent me from reading those last couple of passages. I just want you to know today one of the great works of the Spirit in your life is He searches all things, even the deep things of God. So just like the spies came back and said, I want you to hear this. Let me tell you about the Jordan River. Let me tell you about the plains that I saw. Let me tell you about the valley of Megiddo that was filled with great greenery and beauty. Let me tell you about the streams and rivers. Let me tell you about the wells that are already dug. Houses already built. Vineyards already planted. And the spies spoke those words with the intention, at least the two, with the intention that when the people heard that, they would get a visual in their mind of what their life could be with the favor of God upon them. And it would give them the courage to go forward and possess the things that had been promised. Man, that's a good word. That's one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus said... When he comes, he's going to take of mine. Everything that the Father has is mine. Isn't that what he said? I didn't make that up. Isn't that what he said? Everything that the Father has is mine. And when he comes, he's going to show it to you. You can have joy and you can have confidence. Remember this. We're going to pray. Just a moment. He said, ask the Father. 
asked, they, they were, they, you know, they could touch Jesus, so they were expecting Jesus to intercede or mediate for them. And he does in one sense. I understand that. But Jesus said this. You've got to catch there's a revelation in this. He said, ask the Father in my name, for the Father loves you. How many of us could live our life differently if we lived our life with the revelation of how much the Father loves us? We wouldn't continue to walk in a dying wilderness with our heads and hands hanging down. But we would cross that Jordan River. Then we sing a song that he parted something, the Red Sea, and parted the Jordan River so we could walk right through it into what God's called us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It may have not yet entered into your heart, but if you will ask the Spirit of God, He will begin to reveal to you the things that God has for you. Once you begin to see them by the eye of faith, come on, once you begin to see them by the eye of faith, it will create in you an ability to trust God and you can possess them. Why don't we stand up together today for just a moment. Heads are bowed and eyes closed for just a moment here today. Is there anyone that would have the confidence here today to say, Pastor Brown, I'm going to be honest. I'm somebody that has struggled.